Hey, I want to ask two reflective questions for us just to think about. In fact, if you are comfortable with things, close your eyes. And I want you to just think about these two questions. Just two questions that I think might be helpful for us to start with. And first question is this, what has God been up to in your life? What has God been up to in your life? I don't even want to know what that's about. Uh, what's God been up to your life? And then maybe another question similar would be um, specifically, what is God doing right now in your life? Just, just think about that for a minute. What's God been up to? What's God doing in our lives? And Lord, um, I pray right now that you'd help us to be attentive to those two questions. What is it that you're doing in the world around us? What are you doing in the community? What are you doing in our schools, in our places of employment? What are you doing in our families? And what are you doing in our individual lives, God? Help us to be sensitive and attentive to your work. Man. And the reason why I ask that is because I, you know, I feel like it's really easy to get so busy that you stop paying attention to questions like that. You know, like you get caught into the rhythms of, of life um, and it's, it's super easy to find yourself one day and you're like, wow, I'm not really paying attention to that. Anybody in the room feel that way? We're at the end of summer. It's like, it's like busy, 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 right? And, um, and so it's easy to not be paying attention to those things, but it's, it's I think, in paying attention to those questions where we can discern God's will for our lives and what he's asking us to do. Um, you know, in 2016, um, you know, backing up, even in 2015, my wife and I, we had served in northern Wisconsin. Many of you know a story. We were there for 12 years and um, we were quite content, quite happy. And then in 2015, we, we really sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to us about transitioning. And it took like a year. I spent a year. Don spent a year. We prayed together. We talked to our friends and our family members. And we couldn't shake this growing um, sense that God was calling us to transition from um, the frozen tundra of northern Wisconsin and to move west. Um, you know, and finally, we came and visited uh, Red Bluff in 2015. It was July or, or uh, December, I remember, and it was the best time to come. Uh, we were like, oh, this is amazing, because in Wisconsin, right, it was like negative 70 below zero, and there was snow everywhere, and we came here, and it was like green and luscious, and there was trout in all the rivers here, and I was like, all right, this is pretty cool. Um, but I remember when we came, something that happened for us is that um, God, I really believe that God gave Don and I a, like an overwhelming sense of love for this community. Like, I remember... Um, I remember in our, it was Saturday morning. What's funny is, is it was not even Sunday. We haven't even been to church yet um, to, you know, know anything about this church. But we were, we woke up at like 4.30 or 5 in the morning and, and we had met a few people and we had driven around town. And, and I remember asking Don, like, well, what do you think? Because we were really trying to, we knew God was calling us to transition and to leave this place we had loved and invested in and, and given our all for. Um, but it was really super scary and I remember asking Donna, I was like, well, what do you think? And she's like, well, what do you think? And then immediately we both just started crying because we knew that we were being called to Red Bluff. And we like had this love for our community. And, and we'd meet people um, after that. We'd run into people and 
people like we noticed is there was a lot of like hopelessness about Red Bluff. In fact, people would talk about living in, in Red Bummer. You ever heard that one? Or Dead Bluff? Yeah, and I was like, I was like, oh man, that's that's kind of a negative way to think about the community. And uh, but we didn't feel that way. We were just like overwhelmed with love and and like had vision for for our community and. And we, it's like God gave us um, a, a picture of the way he felt about our community. And, and I think that that's really easy to lose that, right? Because sometimes we just see in the natural, right? And I don't know about you, but sometimes when you drive around Red Bluff, it is not hard to understand why people call it Dead Bluff or Red Bummer or like can be kind of, kind of like discouraged, but we, we saw this community through the eyes of God. That's, that's the only way to put it. And I had this overwhelming sense of love and started praying. And, and there were a couple of things that we really felt like God uh, wanted this church to be. And, and part of it was not anything different than God had already called this church to be, because I want to just take a moment right now. And you may not even know, if you're new, you might not even know, um, but this church was pastored by a man named Steve Agarda for like 20 5,000 years, and, uh, and Steve, Steve will never hear this, so uh, Steve Agarda was very faithful in this community for a very long time, right? And he loved God, and he loved people, and, and, and he didn't have, like, we didn't come here and, like, discover this new vision. I want to be very clear. We just felt like God was calling us to continue this calling that this church community had, and and, you know, a couple of things that I just felt like I wanted to just mention about that is that what I really felt like is that God clearly wanted this church to be a safe place for people to explore faith. You know, like, I think oftentimes we, if you live in a Christian bubble, there's this assumption that, like, everybody's on the same team, and they all believe in the Bible, and they all know that Jesus died on the cross, and they all know who the Holy Spirit is. Um, but that's not true in the world we live in today. In fact, what I'm discovering increasingly is that there's a lot of people that might have grew up going to church, or they have an uncle that went to church, or an aunt that invited them to church once, but by and large, they have no understanding or basic comprehension of Christian, the Christian faith. I mean, like, I, I've recently been doing some research on Buddhism and Hinduism, just curious. And so, like, have any of you ever studied that at all? Well, I tried. I had no idea where to even start. Right, I, like I got some books on it, and there's like all these different types of scriptures. There's di two different types of, of Buddhist scriptures. There's a whole variety of teachings, and like after a couple hours, I was like, I'm so lost. And it made me appreciate how many people come into the church and they feel the exact same way. Like they don't understand our scriptures. They don't understand that we have an Old Testament and a New Testament. They don't understand all these different doctrinal things. Does that make sense to you? Like, we can't assume that everybody's on the same page as us, right? Are you aware of that? Yeah, we can't. We just can't. So, like, I really felt like, like God just reminded us that we want to be a safe place for people to be explore, to explore Christianity, to, like, find out who is this Jesus person that all you crazy people talk about, right? And so that was one of the things that, uh, that I felt like the, the Lord stirred in our hearts and then I think really wanting to be a community that valued authenticity, a place where you can be yourself. Like I grew up in, in, in a church, I grew up in the vineyard, but for a while I was attending this non-vineyard church. And I remember feeling like I had to go to church and like put on a, a little bit of a show. Anybody ever been in a church like that where you got to put on a little bit of a show? 
right? Yeah, like you got dressed a certain way, talk a certain way, don't talk too much about fly fishing, things like that. Um, but also not only authenticity, but vulnerability. Like I really do think it's important that we have a church community where we can actually talk about what God's doing in our life. And we can talk about when we don't feel like God's doing anything in our life. Like there's times where I feel like, God, are you there? God, I really could use your help right now. I am in a, a dry season, Lord. I have been to the mountaintop. I am now in the valley. Right? That's, that takes vulnerability. We have to be able to talk about that. Because there's times where it feels like we, might, we, we feel alone. And we need to process that and have a community where we don't have to put on a show and pretend that everything's okay. Because guess what? Sometimes everything isn't okay. Amen? Right? Like, can we all admit that? Like sometimes things aren't great, right? And then, and then we need to be reminded about, about the reality and the hope that we have in Jesus because we're able to be authentic and vulnerable with people and the other people around us might be going through a little bit better season and they're able to remind us that Jesus is faithful, isn't he? Jesus is going to keep his promises. Everything is going to eventually be okay. And, and so another thing is, is we really had this sense that God was calling this church to be a church for everyone to come, uh, to be a part of, and to experience the transformative work of the Holy Spirit as they met Jesus. And that was a journey, and it would take time. And, and then the last thing that I, I remember very clearly, I was on a train when the Lord spoke to me. I was in, in, the, in England, I was in the UK, and I was traveling with a, with a mentor and a friend of mine. And and I, I like distinctly heard and, and felt and sensed and knew in my heart that the Lord wanted our church to be a church that would be able to train up, raise up leaders, and to send them out. And um, on the one hand, that's awesome, and we want to do that. On the other hand, that is so costly and hard and challenging when you say goodbye to people. But I knew that God wanted us to do that. And, and, and you know, by God's grace, we've planted one church uh, already. We have vision to to do that in the future but these are the things that the lord was just like reminding me about our church the last couple of couple of weeks and, and especially the last couple of days about like this vision because i just remember being in in 2016 being so excited at times about what god was doing and seeing it around us so much so that i remember we we went out of town for a couple of days and um, we went down to, to like central California and we were driving up and like San Luis Obispo, I hate all the people that live there. It's too nice. Are, are you with me? It's like, this just is not fair, you know, and, and we we're like driving up and then you go through like kind of a, a more rough part of California because it's really hot and disgusting, right? It's after the, the vineyards, right? Are you with me? I'm not going to say the name, but you all know where it's at. It's a little South San Jose. That's all I'm going to say. Right? And then you're driving, but I, I remember when we got to Sacramento, it was like, you see this sign for, for, for Redding, and it's like, oh, we're almost home. We're getting close to home. And then you keep on driving, and finally we saw the sign for Red Bluff. And I remember, again, being reminded about God's love for our city, like God loves Red Bluff. Do you believe that? He loves our city. And it's not that people don't come and go, but I really believe that God loves our city, just like he loves every other city in the, in the world. And what I also know is that if God's called you to be a part of this community, that we need to work for the betterment of our community. Like, I don't want to give up. Amen? 
And so I want us to read this passage of scripture together from Ephesians, because I think I think this beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter 2 gives us a bit of a vision for what I think the Lord is wanting to stir in our hearts a bit today. And, and these are the words we read from the Apostle Paul. He says, so now you Gentiles, and Gentiles essentially is just anybody who's non-Jewish. He says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Paul has a lot of really, I think, intriguing things to say here. I mean, he says that these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, see, previous to this, the assumption was that in order to be part of God's family, you had to be Jewish. And there were a bunch of extenuating circumstances that could get you to be part of that community, but it still meant that you had to keep 613 laws that are found in the Old Testament, one of them being you cannot eat bacon, all right? Can you imagine that? I mean, seriously, we made brats last night and I wrapped bacon cheese brats with bacon, okay? And I celebrated my gentleness in that moment, all right? But like we have Paul, Paul saying, hey, it used to be that you were formerly not able to be a part of this community, but you're no longer strangers or foreigners because you now belong. You now belong to part of the family. And something I've discovered over the past 20 years is that for many people, when it comes to their relationship with the church or hesitation with the church, is what has to happen is they have to belong before they believe. And that, that's counter to a lot of our church experience where it's like, you need to believe the right things, check the boxes, and then you can be a part of the community. But ha- have you found that to be true too? It's like people, people get welcomed and loved and treated as if they're part of the family. And over the course of time, they come to a place to see Jesus for who he really is. And that's a fundamental shift in the way that society and culture has gone primarily because more and more people are increasingly less Christian in their cultural understanding. Does that make sense? Like, let me give you a quick example. I've used this example before, but I had this fascinating experience in our church in Wisconsin where I got to see this firsthand. So our church in Wisconsin, very similar as a vineyard church, and we had coffee and and that was a big deal. In fact, uh, we, had, we had tables in our foyer and all that type of stuff, and people would come. And I remember this one Sunday, I met this guy and this guy showed up and, and he was drinking a cup of coffee and I walked over to him and said, hey, my name's Luke and, you know, just introduced myself to him and he, and he said, you know, his name and, and uh, he, he then said, you know, very quickly that he was not a Christian. He's like, I'm not a Christian. And I remember being like, that's kind of, I, okay, <laughs> you know. He's like, I, my name is, you know, so-and-so, I'm not a Christian, I'm just here for the coffee. Somebody told me about coffee, it came for the coffee. Okay. You need to leave right now. Just kidding. Uh, But I was like, oh, that's cool. So he came. And every single Sunday, every single Sunday he came. And and, and in the very beginning, he would sit in the very back and he would just sit, drink his coffee and and like, he's just taking it all in. But he always made sure to communicate that he was not a Christian. He's not a Christian. And that went on for like three or four months. 
And and then one one thing I noticed is that he like he went from just attending on Sunday, you know, and just sitting in the back to where he started kind of sitting in the middle because he started to make friends with some of these other crazy Christian people, even though he wasn't a Christian. And and then after three or four months, he he said uh, to me one Sunday, he said, "Hey, I'd like to get together with you this week." And I was like, "Okay, cool." So we we met together and. And over the course of a cup of coffee, he's like super, he was so worried and so scared. He's like, I think I might be a Christian now. And, uh, and I was like, oh, what makes you say that? And he says to me, I'll never forget it. He says, well, I believe that Jesus came to this earth and that he lived a perfect life and that he died on the cross for my sins and that he was raised from the grave on the third day. And I was like, yeah, you're Christian. That's actually totally what Christians believe. That's, that's it right there, you know? But in that story, and there's so many stories, there's people in this room right here who that's your story. You, you came and you experienced community. You were radically welcomed. You were extended hospitality. You were loved. And that's what, what God used to be able to help you to see the truth of the gospel of the kingdom. That's, that's what God, it seems like that is more common now than it was 30 or four years ago where it was like you do a big altar call, everybody gets saved, and then they're part of the church. And so it's just an interesting change that's happened. And so Paul, he, he, he gives us a, a hint at this because he talks about no longer being strangers or foreigners. And, and I would hope that as a church, we would never want anybody to feel like they're, they're estranged or, or they're not able to be welcomed. Like we want you to know that you're welcome here. You are welcomed. You are valued. You might have a terrible life. You might have all these challenges you face in your, in your home experience. You might feel like you're, you're not welcome, but I want you to know that Jesus welcomes everyone to the cross, right? He welcomes us. And so Paul fleshes that out. He also uses this word together. Did you see that in the text? Together we are at his house. It speaks about how we are called, I think, to carry out this responsibility that God has given us as a church, we carry that out as a community where everyone participates and everyone gives and everyone serves and everyone functions as part of the family. And I think that's implied in the language that Paul uses here because he talks about how we're citizens. And that's a very interesting Greek word in the, in the, Old, in the New Testament. And part of it's because what Paul is doing is he's redefining the church um, concept in many of the ways that he writes. Because in the, in the New Testament, in the first century, that idea of being a citizen was very unique in some, some aspects because there was Roman citizens who had all the rights and then there was everybody else, right? And he's talking about how we become citizens, members. We're part of this community that's known as the church. And so he uses language like citizens and members and together and that we're joined together. And I think he's doing that to suggest that we're supposed to be a community for a purpose. We're supposed to be a community for a purpose. I don't want to play church. Amen? Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend my life going through the motions of playing church. I want to see people's lives changed. I want to see Jesus' kingdom come. I want to see people come to know the radical love of God. And we are not going to see that if we're just playing church. Amen? That's, that's not how it works. And then there's this really, I think there's both an implicit and explicit, explicit commitment in this passage to an outward-leaning ministry here. Those who were once strangers and foreigners are welcomed in through Jesus, right? And so like when we think about the way that our church 
Um, and this is a challenge. Folks, I don't know if there's ever been a more challenging time in America for the church to exist. Like we have to keep so many different tensions. Like it would be so easy to be pulled to the right or pulled to the left, to pull to be pulled all these different areas. But we, I think that's one of our superpowers as a vineyard church. Our, our theology of the kingdom is both now and not yet. And so because of that, we have built into our, our, like our, um, our, our DNA, our, our value set, this idea of being able to keep the tensions. And so like, do we want to be a church that cares for the people who are in our church? Yes. yes. Can we all agree that that's important? Okay. Some of you are like, don't care about the person sitting next to me. Okay. But yes. And then are we supposed to be a church that cares for those who are not part of our church. Yes. And I'm telling you right now, it is so hard to keep that tension because there's all these different things that are vying for, for our time and our energy and our focus and our finances and, and all these different things. But what God wants us to do is to keep the tension and to say, when it comes to whether or not we're going to care for one another or we're going to care for those who are lost, the answer is yes. It's yes. All right. And so Paul is Paul is again fleshing this out, I think, quite a bit. And then here's what is so beautiful about this passage. What holds it all together is the cornerstone, Jesus. Jesus holds all of it together. He is the cornerstone. You know, I've had the, the pleasure and the opportunity and the honor of going to Kenya in, in Eastern Africa like 12 or 13 or 14 times. And one of the things that's really fascinating about this country is there's 42 different unique tribes in that country. 42 unique cultures that have their own languages, their own cultural values. Um, they all have their own different way that marriages happen too. Like in some of them, the, the, the husband has to bring the dowry. In other ones, the, the wife has to bring the dowry. And sometimes you give it to... So certain families that are not immediate, it's like crazy, all the different rules and regulations. And then what's happened is every time there's a political uh, process in Kenya, there is a ton of fighting. And, and like, I know people who, who had their parents killed in villages because their tribe was running for something and that, and that, that those tribe members didn't like. And so they, they would just go on a killing spree. And so it's, it's crazy because the political differences, imagine having 42 different crazy political parties. We have two for the most part, right? But imagine having 42 and they're just crazy. And this is what's beautiful is that the church there has been able to make huge inroads because whether or not you come from this tribe or that tribe, when you come to Christ, you lay those cultural things down and you say, Jesus is king, the kingdom is my central political entity. And it's beautiful to see. And so that's why I think Paul's words here are so important. For us to be able to carry out our mission, Jesus has to be the cornerstone, right? Jesus has to be the reason why we do anything in our church community. And so I want to just really quickly, we get just a couple more minutes here. I want to talk about what's next for a minute here. Um, you know, we've been talking about this month, this idea of what's next and investing in the future. And, and, you know, our mission as a church is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. But I wonder sometimes if that's just a slogan that we say, and it's not really our mission. 
I wonder if it's something that is catchy and easy to talk about, but it might not be the way that we orient our lives. In, in this past year, last December specifically, I was praying. And I was praying for our church community and asking God, what is it that you are calling us to and to, to be committed to? And I really felt like one of the things the Lord said is that we need to re-mission, re focused on our mission and our vision, and then we have to stop neglecting things that we once did that got us here. So really quickly, back 2016. So Don and I sensed God calling us to this community. We moved here, and the Red Bluff Vineyard had about 35 people in our church community. And so from June until about September that year, we went from 35 people to like 350 people, and it was absolutely bonkers. Okay, yeah, some of you were here. It was crazy. I was having panic attacks every Sunday morning, multiple times. And it was crazy. And it was good, but it was also really challenging. We, had, we grew way beyond our leadership structures. And our, we had all these people. Our giving was super bad. It was, it was just a train wreck in many ways. Um, but there were four things that we, we did at that time that I think helped us carry out this Ephesians chapter 2 vision that we see in in Paul's writings here. And the first one that I, I saw consistently that worked is that we had an invitational culture. Everybody in our church community was inviting people to come and experience God's presence in some way, shape, or form. Everybody did it. People bought into this idea that, that other people are one invitation away from experiencing God's presence, right? So they just invited people. Everything. We never, we didn't show up at things without somebody with us. If you're going to an event, you brought somebody with you. It's just what happened. Um, we were committed to raising up leaders. We, we, we invested our time and our energy. We, we hired this young whippersnapper named Wes McLaughlin from South Africa and, and tried to get him to speak English. And it took a long time and it, we failed in that regard, but we, but we saw him grow and to develop. And um, Nikki Walter, who was our kids' pastor, grew into this amazing leader and went on and planted a church. And, and we saw other leaders that we invested in that, that went and did that. So we had this invitational culture, and we had this raising up of leaders, and then we also really focused on building community, like actually building community. Like, let me just tell you right now, showing up on Sunday morning is actually not what that means. Like that's part of it, but building community is going beyond that and developing lasting relationships with people in your church community. Like getting to know people, small groups, this potluck we're doing this, this afternoon. That's the way that you can build community. And then lastly, we as a church community cast our vision and bought into this idea of being generous and serving. And in my opinion, this all comes out of living out what we read here in Ephesians 2. Together. Like we can accomplish more together than if we try to do things individually. So for us to think about what's next, um, what I've been doing is I've been talking to different leaders in our church community and asking this question of like, um, what do we need for us to exist? And then what do we need for us to thrive? So like to exist, to exist as a church, just like to make it. I mean, just to like scrape by, we need 25 people every single Sunday to serve in one, one way or, or another, okay? Um, our kids' ministry has 12 people right now that rotate throughout the month. Like, we, we need kids' volunteers big time. And this is what I'm telling you right now, 
is that we can say, it's really easy to stand together and say, yes, we want kids to be here. We want it to be really loud with kids running around. We want to see young families' lives changed. But it's another thing to buy into that and to serve. Are you with me? Like, I know it's hard. Kids drive me crazy too. We've got five. I know professionally that it's hard and challenging. And I also know that, that, that kids do better oftentimes when it's not their parents helping them out. Meaning that you can make a difference in other people's kids' lives. And so we, 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 the difference between surviving and thriving, and that's kind of where I think we need to be thinking about. And we can't, we can't thrive if we aren't together. Does that make sense? Yeah? Let's stand up together. This is the first time, we're at a, at a point right now where in the first time of our church's history, um, in the past, since I've been here, the first time that we've ever, you know, been to the point where it's like, we might not be able to make it, like, for real. Meaning our finances and our serving is like, it's, it's, we have a lot of people that call the vineyard home. There's 350 people that call the vineyard home, and yet it's a very small group of people who serve and give in our church community. Now, I want to tell you that the numbers are super bleak, okay? But I want to share this with you. I actually have a lot of hope. And this week I was praying a lot. I'm like, Lord, is it time to throw in the towel and get a normal job? Because maybe that's what you want me to do. Or maybe our church, maybe there's something that we need to do. And, and you know what? I really felt like this overwhelming sense of hope and, and again, love for our church. And you want to know why? I'm not giving up and why I don't think we're going to have to like close our doors by any means. Like, I don't want to, I'm not sounding alarms like, oh my gosh. What I'm saying is the reason why is because God is present and at work in our church. And there are hundreds and hundreds of stories of, of people over the past, the past seven years of people's lives changing, being changed and, and being encouraged and, and receiving hope and grace and mercy and all those different things. And it's because there's also, while there's a lot of people that might not be serving or giving in our church, there are people here who do serve and who do give. And they sacrifice. And like the last couple of weeks, we've been highlighting some people. But I want you to know that um, God is at work. God is at work in our community, and he hasn't given up on Red Bluff. And I feel like sometimes that's the, the enemy's work lately, is to make us feel like, like he's done. But he's not done. He's not done. So I'd love to pray, and then Jennifer's going to pray and close us out. But if you would close your eyes, maybe and bow your heads with us just for a moment. I just have the sense that, that like me, there's others in this room who God gave you dreams for this community, for Red Bluff. And like you can, you, you've seen them. You've had visions about God um, working in certain people's lives. There's even people that you have, you have known, you have, you have prayed for, you have just such a heart for. And, and 
somewhere along the way, you got kind of discouraged and you kind of threw in the towel. And, and now you're like maybe just kind of just treading water. Maybe you've got grandkids that you have been praying for and that you long for them to know the Lord and, and where they're at in life, they are as far from God as maybe you can possibly imagine. And so you're discouraged. Maybe that you have a neighbor or coworkers or people that you have, you know, one time you, you saw them and you loved them and you wanted them to know Jesus and then you gave up. Or, or maybe, you know, in your church experience, um, you were really, you were really, really hungry and, and excited and you were participating and you were serving. And then somewhere along the line, you got hurt, whether it was me or another person that just didn't meet your expectations or didn't, didn't uh, say the right thing or, or maybe did something else that, that hurt you. And so you've kind of pulled back. And what I want to encourage you to do today is to take another risk and to re-enlist, re to like buy into the fact that Jesus is in love with Red Bluff and he loves Red Bluff more than you and I could ever imagine. And so Holy Spirit, in this room, would you help us to dream again and to buy into your, your promises and to take the next steps to be generous and giving and to sacrifice and serve and to work hard to see this community transformed by the power of your kingdom. Lord, I can't help but think that those who are outside of our church, who are hopeless, who are lost, who are depressed, who are discouraged, who are disconnected, Lord, would you help us as a church community to reach them with your your love. I've been praying um, throughout the service about what I felt like God was, or asking God what he wanted to highlight. And one of the things that he just kept pouring into me was the fact that he is excited to show us who we are. Like he's excited to show you who you truly are, not, not who you think you are or the expectations that maybe family or friends or, or our world puts on us, but who you truly are to him. And as we get to know how excited he is about who we are and what he's put in us, the more we get to know him and how intentional he was when he put us all together. So God, I, I pray that, that this week you would speak into our hearts about the identities and the expectations and the joys and the talents and the gifts that you've put in each and every one of us intentionally. Would you start to show us what we're truly made for and what our passions really are and, and show us in the process who you are? Would you ignite our intention to spend time with you, God, and to give you our yes every single day and to become more like you? 
In Jesus' name.